Galatians chapter 4. All right, let's try something. Exactly one minute just passed. Exactly one minute just went by. Isn't it absolutely amazing how long one minute of silence seems to go by? But how one minute doing something you absolutely love just seems to fly by? You ever notice that about time? Some moments in time just seem to just take forever. And then other moments seem to just go by so fast. You know, in life, we, we often view time and different times differently. Some of the time, uh, some of our time, I'll say it like this, is spent doing things that, um, that seem very insignificant. And, and, and like, they, they're like, like there's not much going on like staring back at your pastor for a minute Wondering, since he's been gone for two weeks, if he's totally lost his mind and forgotten how to preach uh, for one minute while everybody just stares at you and goes, what is he doing up here doing nothing for one minute? Sometimes we view time as very insignificant. And then there's other times that we view moments in time or specific instances of time that we view as very valuable time and very significant time. For me, one of those examples would be uh, on March 19th, 2005. Five at 11, 11 a.m. Anybody guess what that was? Huh? That's right. That's Galen's birthday. She was born on March 19th, 2005 at 11, 11 a.m. You see, there are some moments in time that are very significant to us. There's other moments of time that we feel like we've kind of wasted the moment if you will, or that it's not very significant. And sometimes I think how we view time or the time surrounding Christmas, sometimes we, we overvalue some of the time that we spend doing things like shopping for presents or wrapping presents or opening presents or attending fellowships or, uh, or parties or family functions, etc. And, and, and we overvalue those times. And then in a moment, it seems like in a, in a flash, mo- the Christmas itself has come and gone. And it's just here and then it's gone. And, and the reason why is sometimes in the holiday season or the Christmas season, we, we, we put so much emphasis into the events surrounding Christmas that when Christmas actually comes, we miss the miracle of Christmas. You see, time is very significant. Everything we do is significant. And this morning, we're going to start.
start a three-week series called The Miracle of Christmas, and we're going to be looking at some miracles that took place on that first Christmas morning, and today I want to start with what's called The Miracle of the Moment. Because as I said, there are some moments that seem insignificant, but then there's other moments that are very significant, and probably the most significant moment that ever took place is the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that happened over 2,000 years ago, and sometimes we spend more of our time uh, enamored with the events surrounding that event than the actual event. So this morning, I want us to go back to that moment that significant moment in time and see the miracle of the moment. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to actually read verses 1 through 6. Our emphasis points will be verses 4 through 6, but I want you to hear the whole context of what's going on here uh, by Paul writing to the church in Galatia. But listen to what he says starting in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would bless the reading of your word, and now as we examine it this morning, I pray that you would speak to us each where we are in our relationship with you. I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared would be yours. And Father, you would, you would speak to us exactly what we need to hear today is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed how important timing is in life? I mean, there are certain, certain things that just timing is, is really everything. I mean, for example, uh, you, you, you don't plant tomato plants in November, okay? That's not the right time. You, you, you shouldn't. I wouldn't say never because I've seen students do this. But you shouldn't go jump in your pond in January, okay? It's not the time. And you wouldn't wear coveralls in mid-August, Okay, so timing is everything in life, it seems like. And, and for example, I mean, we're in the Christmas season. Why is it that when we hit the holiday season around Thanksgiving, that everybody thinks that that's the best time to start a diet? Like, two weeks before Christmas is not the time to start a diet, okay? It's not the time. You're going to have too much going on. There's too much food. We're about to eat some in a minute. And, and I am. I'm one of those that have tried to start a diet two weeks before Christmas. I started last week. We'll see how I work with that. But it's not the right time. But see, all those things in our life, and things in our life, they have a right time and a place, but all times are not the right time and place for everything. How about a minute? Does a single minute of time make any difference in the world? Like the minute you might have sat up there watching me do nothing for a minute may not have seemed very significant. But if you talk to someone who just barely made it out of the Twin Towers before they collapsed, they would say that a minute made all the difference in the world to them. 
Or ask someone who, who has drove up on or watched a, a wreck take place right in front of them that had, they, had, had the person in front of them actually went when they were honking their horn at them and them actually got on the road, they might have actually been right in the middle of an accident. Ask someone that's just been spared their life by a mere matter of moments or seconds, and they would say that a minute of time is very significant at times. Well, the book of Galatians and what we just read a moment ago talks about a single moment in time, a specific instance in time that is probably the most significant instance of all. Some would say the most significant instance of all would be the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I wouldn't argue that except for this, you don't get that without the birth. So unless Jesus comes, you don't get Easter. Without Christmas, you don't get Easter. So this is a very significant instance in time that is talked about. I mean, think about it. Verse 4 is an incredible verse. Listen to it again. When the fullness of time had come, or when time came to completion, God sent his Son. This talks about at the moment in time, at a specific moment in time, at just the right moment, God sent his son, and it truly was a miraculous moment. And I want to share with you three things that make this verse in the text, in the coming of Jesus, that first Christmas morning, to see the miracle of the moment, how miraculous it really is. Number one, I want you to see this this morning. He came at just the right time. He came at just the the right time. Look back in verse 4. I just said it again. I'll say it again. When the time came to completion or at the fullness of time, God sent his son. The idea here is that Jesus came at the perfect moment in time. The coming of Jesus is not a coincidence. It's not an accident. It is a pre-established perfect timing that Jesus would enter into this earth and come to this earth and take on mankind. Well, now, sometimes, or let me say it like this. Have you ever had a perfect timing incident where you just, it was perfect timing? Like you, you pick up your phone and you're going to call someone and you pick up the phone. Now, some of you, I'm not talking about cell phones. I don't even know if they can do this. But when you remember when you had the old the dial tone phones, you had to actually pick up and ring the number. Some of the youth are looking at me like, I don't know what that is. But you'd pick that up and sometimes you'd pick that phone up to call someone and there's no ringtone because there's somebody there going, hey, hello. And you picked up the phone even before it rang and it was the person you meant to call in the first place and you just had perfect timing. Sometimes timing is just perfect, Right. Sometimes timing is perfect. Our text tells us that the timing of Jesus was the perfect time. It was not a matter of chance. It was not a matter of coincidence. It was part of God's perfect plan. But what made over 2,000 years ago in a tiny town called Bethlehem, what made that the perfect time? Why was it 2,000 years ago that Jesus came, that God considered that the perfect time, at just the right time. Why would he consider that the right time? Well, from a historical and geological uh, perspective, uh, or geographical perspective, I'm sorry, the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus had actually done some things to prepare the way for a coming Savior. You see, up until the Roman Empire, the known world, if you will, was very, very separated. They, they weren't connected. There wasn't a lot of um, uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of communication, if you will. Uh, there were lots of 
lots of languages. Um, I, I, while we were on our uh, anniversary cruise, I, I was visiting with one of our waitresses. Uh, she is from India. She doesn't look like she's from India. And I told Jenna, I don't see how she can be from India because she looks more Oriental. And then I said, I bet she's from Northern India. And sure enough, she come back and she said, I'm from Northern India, uh, up around Nepal and some of those places. And she was telling me about language. And, you know, in, in, in America, we, we have, yes, we have people that speak other languages, but pretty much everybody knows English, okay? But English in, in Louisiana and English in New York are not completely the same, okay? But they're still pretty close, and you can communicate across those barriers for the most part. But in that culture, before the Roman Empire, there wasn't very good communication because there were languages all over the place. But under the Roman Empire, they had done some things that actually made this the right time for Jesus to come. Number one, they were the first empire to construct roads that led to city to city. Okay, They were the first empire to really construct roads and make travel easier. They had in their empire, which if you know anything about the Roman Empire in the time of Christ, most of the known world, most of the known world was under Roman rule. They had created a common language. The language that most everybody knew and spoke was Koine Greek, okay, which is everyday Greek. And they knew the language. So communication barriers had been brought down. So the, the, the Roman Empire had actually done quite a bit to make it the right time for the first time. There, there was the ability for someone to come to a, a certain place in time and be able to get his message to the ends of the earth. That hadn't been the case before, but the Roman Empire had actually constructed roads and established a common language and done some things that made that possible. But it's not just about a historical and geographical perspective. Spiritually, it was the right time. As I was reading and studying this week, I came across uh, a book by Warren Wiersbe. He's a theologian, uh, and he has a book called Be Free. And I want, you, I want you to hear what he has to say about this time frame. He says, historians tell us that the Roman religious world was in great need of a new religious thought in the time of Christ. The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless. Strange new mystery religions were invading the empire. And religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere in the time of the birth of Christ. So the stage had been set for a Savior to come. There was infrastructure that had been established making it possible for this person to come, this Savior to come, and for the whole world to be able to hear it. Matter of fact, you can see some of this even in, in the writings of Paul. I, thought, I always thought it was interesting. When you read the writings of, or, or of the journey, not the writings of Paul, but the journeys of Paul and his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, you'll come to a place in the book of Acts where Paul actually wanted to go to the east. He actually wanted to go to the east. And the Bible says, and Paul says, that the Spirit would not allow him to go. And he actually turned and, and went the other direction, and he made his way up to, to Rome eventually. And the gospel spread from Rome, and it kept going to the northwest. And as it got up to the northwest, it got into Europe. And then from Europe, it came to America. And then to America, it's been shifted out to the whole world around us through the mission efforts. God has perfect timing and perfect plan for everything, and this was the time that he established to do it from a historical perspective, from a geographical perspective, and even from a spiritual perspective. It was the right time for Jesus to come because it was the time, the first time that, that someone could come and preach a message and the whole world 
be able to hear. So the first aspect of the miracle of the moment is that Jesus came at the right time. And that's what the Word of God says in Galatians 4. At just the right time, at the completion of time, God sent His Son. Number two this morning I want us to see real quick is not only did He come at the right time in this miracle of the moment, but the miracle of the moment also shows us that He provided at the right time. He provided at the right time. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says this, to, or start back in verse 4, I'm sorry. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In those two verses, in verses uh, 5 and 6, there are three beautiful, miraculous things that Jesus provided at just the right time. See, at just the right time, Jesus came, and at just the right time, he provided, number one, redemption. It says that at just the right time, Jesus was born bring, to redeem us. Now, the Greek word for redeem literally means to buy back or, or to recover from the power of. Okay, and so if you were in jail, for example, re redemption actually is a legal term that would have been used mostly in a court of law. And to redeem someone meant to buy them back. So if someone was to get into trouble, I'm going to pick on Jordan for a minute, okay? Jordan's my neighbor. Jordan just woke up real big. Okay, I'm going to pick on Jordan. He's my neighbor, okay? So, so Jordan's done something wrong and got himself thrown into jail, okay? Jordan is now, sorry, Jordan. Jordan is now under the power of the court system and of the jailers. He can't leave. He can try to escape. But to do so in that time would be death, by the way. Don't try to do that, okay? So they would have killed him. And what the legal, what would have to happen would, for him to be set free was he would have to be redeemed. That meant I had to take the penalty money, okay, and I had to pay his penalty and redeem him or buy him back or buy him from the power of the court so he could be set free. Okay, and so Paul is using a legal term to describe what has happened with us when Jesus came. He came to provide redemption. Why? He came to buy us back. He came to remove us from the power that we were under. Well, what is the power we were under? We'll go back, look at it. You'll see it in verse 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. When you and I were born, we were born into sin. We were born into bondage. We were born into the powerful grip of Satan, actually. Matter of fact, you can read more about this if you want to turn there. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 and Romans chapter 3, verse 9, both tell us that we were, before you come to Christ, when you are a lost person, you are under the power and the control of Satan and of the world. And that's exactly who we were. And Jesus came to buy us back, to redeem us or, or to remove us from the powerful in, uh, of who we were under, remove us from the power of who we were under. You see, before Christ, we were all under the power of sin, darkness, and even Satan. But at Christ's coming and, as, and through his subsequent, subs, uh, subsequent work on the cross, he has bought us back. He has redeemed us. Number two, 
Not only did he provide us redemption, he provides us adoption. Look at it in verse 5 again. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I always thought this was interesting because this idea of adoption is, is not... Um, there are two ways the New Testament describes our, what happens when, when, we, when we're saved. One is a legal, like what, a legal, what I just talked about with redemption. So a legal transaction that's taking place. But adoption deals with something more personal. It deals with the relationship side of what took place. We've been adopted. Now, adoption in strict terms is also a legal process, but in relation to our adoption, when you see it, it's more than just a legal process or contract. It's a relationship and a promise. How do I know that? Well, we'll look at it real quick. You'll see the relationship when you read it, adoption as sons. Okay, adoption as sons. We are no longer. In the Old Testament, they were known as his people. The people of God. Israel was his chosen people. And the idea of sonship in the Old Testament is pretty foreign. You don't really see that. The only really time you see sonship of God is in prophecies of his coming son. But in the New Testament, there's a transaction that takes place, and we go from just being his people, redeemed to be his people, to actually being adopted to be in a relationship as sons and daughters of God Most High. So we see that there's a relationship. We are now sons and daughters of God. Why? Through his adoption. But we also see it's not just a, uh, um, not just a relationship, it's also a promise to us because Paul, through the Holy Spirit, didn't have to use the word adoption to describe our relationship with God through Christ. He could have just stuck with the legal ramifications, but he used a personal relationship idea to describe it. Why did he do this? I think to really understand why Paul used the word adoption, you've got to understand what adoption meant in that culture. You see, in that culture, according to, to Roman and Syrian law, which the church in Galatia was under, a man could rightfully disown his biological child if there was something deemed worthy of that. So if a child, a son, did something that the father just abhorred or detested, that father could legally disown his biological child. Okay? But when a man adopted a child, he could never disown that child. So adoption in that culture was different. You didn't just adopt on a whim. You had, when you adopted, it was permanent. There was nothing that child that you were bringing into your home could ever do that would allow you legally to disassociate yourself from him. You could never disown him. You could never say, you know what? You were a good son when I first adopted you, but now you've got out on your own and you've done this and you've broke my word and you've broke my law. And you, it sounds a whole lot like what we do to God, doesn't it? And you've done all this. And because of that, I disown you. You couldn't do that. 
Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Paul uses to describe our relationship with God? He's redeemed us. He's bought us back from the power uh, uh, and the influence that we under. And, and not only did he redeem us, but he actually adopted us as sons and daughters of God for a permanent relationship with him that we can never be let go of. Praise God for the eternal security I have in Christ. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because God, when he adopts us as children, it is a final adoption and there is no voiding that adoption. That's why he does it. It is a beautiful, miraculous thing that happened at Christmas. And if we miss the miracle of the moment, we miss the miracle of adoption that we've been given. Now, this doesn't mean to say that adopted children had greater standing than the biological child. But it does clarify our standing before him and provides us a promise that we will always and ever be his child because of our adoption. We've been adopted as sons. And then number three, the last miraculous thing that you will see that he's given us at just the right time was not only did he give us redemption and adoption, but he gives us his spirit. Look in verse six. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The word Abba means daddy, by the way crying out, Daddy. Have you ever cried out to your Father in heaven? The only thing that gives you the ability to cry out to your dad in heaven is the spirit of the Son that's been given to you because you've been adopted. He's given us his spirit, the spirit of his Son. It's another way of saying the Holy Spirit. You get this promise all the way back in the book of John when, when Jesus tells him that when he leaves, he would send another comforter or another counselor. The word another means another, but of the same kind. It is his Holy Spirit that he's given to us. And, and the Holy Spirit has been provided to us in our hearts, enabling us to cry out to our God, to cry out to our Father. Father, I need you. And listen, the Spirit of God is a great blessing to us that we've been given. The Spirit of God brings encouragement to our lives when we need encouragement. This the Spirit of God brings comfort to our lives when we need comfort. The Spirit of God brings counsel to our lives when we need wisdom. The Spirit of God brings conviction to our lives when we've stepped out of line. The Spirit of God brings security to our lives and assurance because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God in our lives as a down payment to guarantee one day our salvation will be finalized in glory in heaven. You see, the miracle of Christmas, it starts in the miracle of the moment. In the miracle of the moment, Jesus came at just the right time, at just the perfect time. God sent his son, born under the law, to redeem us, to buy us back from where we, who we were under. To buy us back, to redeem us. And then to adopt us as his child, permanently as his child. And then grant us his spirit as a helper, as a comforter, as a counselor, and as a security and an assurance. But I want you to see lastly this morning before I close, not only did Jesus come and provide at the right time, and not only did he just come at the right time and provide at just the right time, I want you to know he continues to come and he continues to provide for us at just the right time. Listen to a couple verses of scripture, if you will. Psalms 145 verse 15 says, All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. 
Deuteronomy 11, chapter, 14, or chapter 11, verse 14 says, I will provide rain for your land in the proper time. See, God gives us in proper time, at just the right time, not only did he know exactly what we needed and provide exactly what we needed in redemption, adoption, and the blessing of his spirit, but he continues to come and he continues to provide for us. He continues to give us exactly what we need at just the right time. And you know what he says right now as we close? He says, now's the time. Now's the right time. Now's the right time. Well, what do you mean by that, Brother Dwayne? What do you mean now's the time for what? What What's the time for? I want you to know this morning, now's the time for salvation, number one. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you have repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't care how many church services you've been to. I don't care how much money you've given. I don't care how many times you've read your Bible. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. If you have never repented, which means to turn away from your sin and placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and the Savior of your life, you are in need of salvation. And today is the day of salvation because over 2,000 years ago at just the right time Jesus sent his son to redeem you and to adopt you and to give you his spirit but that only comes through salvation now's the day of salvation also today's the day for cleansing some of you here, you're, you're a born-again believer in Christ. You're a Christian. There's no doubt in your life. There's been a time you've repented of your sin. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no question in your mind today that you are a believer. Well, I want you to know as Christians, sometimes we still get sin in our heart and our life, and we still need to be cleansed from it. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now. Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be washed as snow. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today is the day of cleansing. See, at just the right time, God came, sent his son to come at just the right time to provide for us redemption, adoption, and his spirit. But he also provides us the moment we need right now to be clean before him as his child. You see, he continues to give us what we need. And if you're here today and you've got unconfessed sin in your life as a believer, as a Christian, unconfessed sin in your life, today's the day for cleansing. And then the last, and I'll close with this. Today's the day. This moment's the moment to be totally committed to him. To be totally committed to him. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says it like this. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourself to the Lord, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And then if you read verse 11, it says this, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. You see, in the miracle of the moment over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came at just the right time. God sent his son at the perfect time to provide for us redemption, adoption, and his spirit. But he continues to come, and he gives us opportunity now for salvation. He gives us the opportunity and what we need now, the time for cleansing. He gives us the opportunity now to devote ourselves wholly and totally to him. So, does one minute or one moment make a difference in life? As a believer in Christ, it makes all the difference in the world.